0: Amen and good morning, Evangel. It's a good day. Nice, you just join in with. We didn't even need the one, two, three. It is a good day. It's a really good day to be here, and um, I'm just so I just love getting together on Sunday mornings with other people who are part of God's family. It's just, it's good to get together with others of God's kids, and I'm, I'm grateful for that opportunity. We started this series um, a couple weeks ago, and we said we were going to call it One Fantastic Church. I want you to turn to the person beside you and just tell them, you are part of One Fantastic Church. Just go ahead, do that. Some of you are looking at me. We're not supposed to talk in church. You might as well. Okay? You are part of one fantastic church. This here evangel is one, maybe she say it with me, is one fantastic church. Now, it's not a perfect church, because there isn't such a thing as a perfect church, but it is one fantastic church. And so, we, we started this series a few weeks ago, and so last week, we talked about um, the structures and the systems that help to make up, um, to, to facilitate making this happen, this kind of gathering together. We talked about, you know, Christmas family dinner, that you can't, it doesn't just magically happen. Somebody buys the turkey, and somebody cooks it, and all of that kind of stuff. And we said, the same thing happens when we have this ongoing gathering together of followers of Jesus. So I I don't know if you realize this, but we took communion this morning. Somebody went to the grocery store and got the bread and the juice and the cups so that we could do that, right? And so we talked about that last week, and we talked about um, how stuff doesn't just happen. And so at the end of last Sunday, I got to introduce to you our whole staff team, many of whom are new or newish, And also got to introduce you to our new lead team, many of whom are new or newish on the lead team. And I was just so excited to be able to do that and to say, this is where we're going. We're moving forward. We got this fantastic team. Was anyone here last Sunday and thought that was good? I loved that. It was, it was my favorite Sunday, maybe, that I've been here so far, but they're all my favorites. And so we did that last week, and then two Sundays ago, we talked about um, how I had been watching at the community Thanksgiving dinner that we did, and how I just watched all these people just just step into the place where they are. And when I said, wow, this is amazing that you do that, or thank you so much for doing that, and I started to do that in other places in the church, people look, just looked back at me and they just went, it's what we do, Right? They just, oh, it's what we do, right? Try that with me because we're going to return to that a few times. You've got to do the shrug, kind of like this. Just try it right now, kind of like this. And then turn the person beside you go, it's what we do. Nice. Well done. We're going to come back to that a few times, and I saw it again at the Fall Fun Fest on Friday. I, I was here and I wandered through with Jeff and took a few minutes here and saw different people running the bungee runs and the the jumping castles and the, the they made slime and they put it in my hand and it was gross. And but but I thanked different people. I said, "This is amazing. It's what we do, right?" That's what they said. And so we're doing this whole series. And so I want to build on that today because. We did take some time to talk last week about our staff and about our lead team or our board of, of directors, if that's what you're used to calling it. But, but how many know that that, the leadership that we're up here on the platform, that's not the point of the church, right? That's not the point of the church. Tr- last Sunday, after Jeff and I had, um, we had been here for the services and then we were here for On Point in the afternoon. We got home in the late afternoon. We sort of went on the couch and we were watching football. And by we, I mean he. He was watching football because I'm, I was there. I don't care about football. But, so this is the only football football story you're ever going to hear me tell. But he, we were sitting there, and, and we were watching the football game, and, and all these people are in the stands, and they're all cheering, and woo. Oh, there's all this, you know, woohoo for some reason. And Jeff said to me, wow, he goes, wouldn't you just love it if the crowd at Evangel on Sunday morning was like that? Like just cheering and wah and really awesome. And I said, wait, I said, well, actually, I'd rather have them all play in the game. I'd rather have them all on the field because somebody said, it was decades ago, some quote that said football is is 22 guys on the field desperately in need of rest, being watched by 40,000 spectators desperately in need of exercise, right? That's pretty good. I just did a sports illustration. I should get a hand for that. Yeah. And how many know that the church is not a football? Game. It's not a bunch of spectators out here watching the game happen up here. That's not what it's about. That's not the point of the church. And so I want to talk about that today. And I want to give you a little example um, from the book of Acts, because we said we were going to base this series loosely on the book of Acts in the Bible. And the book of Acts is the story of what happened, what actually happened with the first church, with the early church. After Jesus died and rose again and returned to heaven, this group of believers. They started, they started gathering. And so Acts is the story of what happened when they did that. It was the very first church. And so last week we talked about Acts chapter 2 and how they, they would gather together and they would worship and they would study scripture and they would um, do, uh, do all the things that people do when they come together as followers of Jesus. And that was from Acts chapter 2. And today we're going to look at Acts chapter 6, and then we're going to talk it through. Now, I just need to warn you, we're going to look at Acts chapter 6. If you have, by the way, the YouVersion app or the Bible app on your phone, we have notes on there that you can follow as you go along. Just pull out your phone and, uh, or your, your tablet or whatever, and you can follow that. But I want to warn you, Acts chapter 6 is an ultra-practical story. And so today's message is going to be ultra-practical. Okay, turn to the person beside you and go, it's going to be ultra-practical. Okay. And it's going to be okay, but it's going to be pretty, pretty practical. Here we go. Acts chapter six, verses one to seven. But as the believers rapidly multiplied, now let me just pause here because you're going to skip over it. Okay. I want you to picture that. Here we are, very first church, and the believers are rapidly multiplying. They're getting added to all the time. This is a time of, normally we would say it's a time of revival, but revival always assumes there's been a time before where there wasn't, and this is the first church, so I don't know what you call it, vival, maybe not revival, but it's, it's this exciting time when all kinds of people are being added to the church. How many know that is a good time in the church, right? Okay. But as the believers rapidly multiplied, multiplied, so it's wonderful times, the glory days, they're growing fast, there were rumblings of discontent. Yay! (laughs) The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve called a meeting of all the believers, and they said, We apostles should spend our time teaching the Word of God, not running a food program. And so, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and are full of the Spirit and wisdom, and we will give them this responsibility. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the Word. Everyone liked this idea, and they chose the following. Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Philip, Procurus, Nicanor... Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas of Antioch, an earlier convert to the Jewish faith. These seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands on them. So God's message continued to spread, and the number of believers greatly what? I'm sorry, what? Greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. Here we go. You ready? Ultra practical observations from this story. Number one, grumbling happens even in the glory days. Oh, can't believe she said that. Not here. Other places. Other, right? Not... (laughs) So grumbling, now I laughed when I read this and I was working on this and I wrote this whole thing out on Monday and I laughed as I was reading it because I thought, you know, it's rather encouraging to pastors that even in that very first church, the very early church before anything else had happened, even in that early church when everything was going great and, and people are being added daily and it's new and it's exciting and it's all this stuff, even at that time, there were some people that weren't quite happy tell you, for a pastor, that's encouraging. Maybe the rest of you don't care, but for a pastor, that is encouraging to know that that was the case. Because even though people are being added to their number daily, and they're in this, the best season of the church ever, there's still some people that, you know, it's just not perfect is all. The church is not perfect. Now, I I was, um, I've been part of, of the church, the Christian church in general, since just prior to when I was born, Okay. I was born and raised in the church. My parents were born and raised in the church. My grandparents on both sides were raised in the church. I know church. I got history in the church. I've been to different churches. I know the things that happen in churches. And I know that it's easy to look backwards at the glory days, at the times before, right? Because we all have selective memory and we remember the things that were really good. And it's easy to look back and go, oh, those were the perfect days. Or it's easy to also look down the street or look across the city or look across the nation and see what some other church is doing and go, oh my goodness, they have got it going on. They have got something awesome going on. And it's easy to do one of those two things and then grumble just a little bit about how all the needs aren't being necessarily met in this church or in this time. No one's amening that. I'm so shocked. Oh, the pastor's going to tell us to quit complaining. No, I would never do that. Maybe a little bit. No. No listen, the truth is no church is ever perfect. No church is perfect. No gathering of believers has it all perfect. No church is ever meeting every single need. No church is doing every single thing that needs to be done 24-7 with perfect, with perfect efficiency and generosity. A church is always in progress. It's always on a journey, and it's always got something messy going on somewhere. And too many people, not here, out there, are looking for the perfect church either from their memories or from what they see down the street or what they see on social media or on YouTube or on, you know, uh, wherever. And they, the stories they hear about somebody else and they go, that is the perfect church. Listen, I hate to break it to you. There are people that look at us that way. (laughs) I had somebody um, contact me a few weeks ago. They said, Patty, those emails that you send out every week, my goodness, your church must be a perfect church. It's amazing all of the things that you talk about. That's because I don't talk about the challenges in those weekly emails, and neither does anybody else. I recognize they happen, but I believe in focusing on the good that's happening and the good that God is doing, and that's what we talk about, and we deal with the challenges as they go, but we're not perfect. Turn to the person beside you. Go, we're not perfect. We're fantastic but we're not perfect. Okay. If a church exists that doesn't have any challenges anymore, they've fixed them all. There's no unmet needs. There is no area or room for improvement. If that church exists, I would say to you, that is a dead church because its work is done. It's done. A living church is like a living human being that is always growing. And sometimes it's stumbling, and sometimes it's learning as it goes, and sometimes it makes mistakes as it goes, which is exciting because mistakes means you're learning something new. And sometimes a church is having wildly successful moments that are super exciting, and it's messy, and it's chaotic, and it's functional most of the time, and is joyful and is passionate. It honors the past while anticipating the future. That sounds like a good church to me. That sounds like a pretty fantastic church. And there is always in any church, any good church, there is something that needs work. And so even in the very best times, there are going to be some things that aren't being done well, or some people that aren't entirely happy. Is that okay that I just said that? Okay. Number two. Uh, The first one was grumbling happens even in the glory days. Number two, the complaint may or may not have been real. I don't know. It doesn't matter. But, but here's the thing. So you got the Greek believers. Let's, let's put you guys are the Greeks and you guys are the Hebrews. Okay. And so the Greeks are upset. The Greek believers, they say that the Hebrew believers, the Hebrew church members are discriminating against the widows and the people that are in need on this side. And so when they're distributing food, the widows over here are not getting it. And it's a little bit meh, 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 right? I don't know. That was the complaint. Now, any complaint that comes like that has at least two sides probably 17 sides to the story. Any complaint like that, any difficulty like that is complex. And you know, well, they, these guys might be going, well, the Hebrew speaking widows are the first in line. What are you going to do? Well, the Greek speaking widows, they're not speaking up. How are we supposed to know that they were? Well, we tried to speak up, but nobody speaks our language. We're Greek and you guys are Hebrews. And well, you know, we're trying to do our best. And besides the Hebrews, they only serve kosher food. So you could see that this is a complex thing. This is a a thing that could be difficult. And and I have no idea if the complaint was, was widespread or if it was one person or one person's perspective or someone in between. But here's what I love, number three. The apostles didn't try to figure out if the problem was real and they didn't try to solve it themselves. Hmm. Now, in many churches, not this one, other ones. If many churches, if this kind of a complaint came up, uh, maybe it comes to the pastor's office, pastor, there's a problem, or it's an email that gets sent to the pastor or gets sent to the board, or somebody stands up at the annual members meeting and says, I have something to say, there's something I don't like, whatever. Usually when that kind of thing happens in many churches, it's the pastor's job to A, get to the bottom of it, and B, solve it. And and since the challenges never end, because remember we said in the first thing that no church is ever perfect, there's always something to grow and something to always fix and develop and all of that, that means something always needs fixing or something always needs improving and it ends up becoming the pastor's whole job to constantly be fixing stuff within the walls here. Now, nobody means to do that. Pastors don't even mean to do that pastors have wonderful intentions where we're going to set aside a minimum of eight hours every week, minimum eight hours, just to prepare for what I'm doing right now, standing up here and talking for 35 minutes, okay? And and pastors mean to, to study our world and to, and to know our congregation and to go, God, and to pray and go, God, where are we supposed to go in the future? How are we going to connect with culture? How do we, how do we bring Jesus to our world? And we mean to set aside time to, to mentor staff and to develop, leaders and to do the things that that speak into the future of the church. And we mean to build relationships with with business relationships around us and and city counselors and and all of the people out in our community. We mean to do all of that, but who's got time? Because most pastors, we got an uh, email inbox that's overflowing. I'll tell you, when I wrote this, I actually wrote down the number, the number of emails in my inbox, not my personal email, church email, The number of emails in my inbox on Monday was 466. So you got to do that, answer all the emails. And then second, we we have to fix and develop and and all of everything that's within the walls here before we even look out there. And let me just tell you, that is why pastors burn out. And that is how churches get stuck. Got a little quiet in here. The apostles and the leaders in this first fantastic church that we're looking at today, they took a different approach. They didn't try to get to the bottom of it. They didn't try to figure out if it's just one person or if it's the whole church, if there's a systemic problem here. They didn't try to work through all the complexities and the hurt feelings and the, you know, the stuff that goes along just with people. And they didn't drop everything that they were doing and start running the food bank themselves. They didn't do that. Now, here's another thing. Number four, they also didn't adopt attitude, although it sounds like it. It's easy to attach your own grid when you're reading this scripture and filter the story through your own grid so that it sounds something like this. Um, We apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. And so brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and full of spirit and wisdom and we'll give them this responsibility And then we, apostles, can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. Amen right? You can hear it through that grid. It's easy to filter this story through a grid of of really actually arrogant leadership and of certain jobs having higher value than other jobs. And I'm saying, well, I'm too good for that. I'm an apostle. Thank you very much. I pray and I read the word. I'm not washing dishes. I'm too good for that. I'm not distributive. It's easy to filter it through that grid. Or there's another grid that it can be filtered through where where there's this weird division between holy tasks and non-holy tasks, right? And so there's these holy tasks, and they get done by the holy people. And the holy people, obviously, are the apostles or the pastors or the lead team because they have this this background music happening in their lives all the time of angels just going, ah, over everything that they do. And everybody knows that they're holier, and so they have to do the holy tasks. And then there's these non-holy tasks like food distribution, and the less holy people do that. And some people can filter it through that grid. You're understanding I'm being a little bit sarcastic this morning, right? Okay. And so we do have our grids. Now, I just want to point out that neither of those narratives that I just explained to you, neither of them is actually included in the scripture. It's more telling on us and on our cultural norms and our experiences that we tend to hear that when we read the story. That just, that's just a little insight into our own brains. But, but here's what the apostles did. They identified their own gifts and their own responsibilities. And then they reasonably identified that this issue that had come to their attention didn't quite fit in with their gifts and their responsibilities. So instead of setting aside what they were doing, because what they were doing actually mattered... Instead of setting that aside and instead of taking on a task that wasn't their strength and wasn't their skill and wasn't their their calling anyway, this is what they did. Number five, they called on the church to solve it and the church solved it. Whoa, that sounds radical, Patty. I know it's a really novel idea. I don't I don't get it, Pastor Patty. I don't really understand what you're saying because isn't it the pastor's job to do all the stuff? Isn't it, isn't it the pastor's job to do every, and then the rest of us are just, we're just volunteers, and we just do what we're told, or we sign up when the announcements get really, really desperate, or we, you know, try to avoid eye contact when they're looking for somebody to help with different things, and we duck out. Isn't that how it's supposed to work in the church? No. Say that with me. No. No, not even a little bit. I love what the apostles did here. They, they identified, they recognized, they heard the issue. They recognized it wasn't theirs to solve, but they're still leaders. That was their responsibility, was to be leaders. And so they, they pulled the whole church together, and they explained what was going on. And, and they gave some guidelines. They said, look, we've already got responsibilities. You've given us these responsibilities. God has given us these responsibilities. So we can't do this as well. So choose people. Go ahead. Choose some people who are well-respected and who are filled with the Holy Spirit and who have a reputation for having wisdom and good leadership ability. Get some good people, leaders in other way, in other words. Get some good leaders. Let us know what you come up with and we will release them to do the job. What a novel idea. And the scripture says in Acts chapter 6, everybody liked the idea. And so they went ahead and they did it. Now, here's the exciting thing. They didn't know it yet, but they were already starting to walk out what was going to be written later about how the church is supposed to work. They're already doing it. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul is writing to the church in the city of Corinth, and this is what he says. This is later. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. Here are some of the parts God has appointed for the church. First, our apostles. Second, our prophets. Third, our teachers. Then those who do miracles, those who have the gift of healing, those who can help others, those who have the gift of leadership, those who speak in unknown languages. Are we all apostles? Are we all prophets? Are we all teachers? Do we all have the power to do miracles? Do we all have the gift of healing? Do we all have the ability to speak in unknown languages? Do we all have the ability to interpret unknown languages? of course not. So you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. But now let me show you a way of life that's best of all. And he goes into this entire chapter about loving each other, which we've talked about a lot here, and which is the sign of a mature and healthy church when we can walk out our gift and love each other at the same time. Now, there's one other grid that this can get interpreted through. And this one is specific to pastors and leaders. So I'm going to be super honest here, okay? And super vulnerable. Turn to somebody and go, she's going to be honest and vulnerable, okay? You're not doing it. I could see you're not doing it. Okay, <laughs> fine. This one is specific to apostles and pastors. Here's what I want you to notice that the apostles didn't do. When this problem came to the surface, they didn't look at each other and say, well, I guess we're the leaders. I guess we're the ones that God speaks to. I guess we probably hear from God better than anybody else. And I'm not sure that these people can handle the job. They didn't do that. They trusted them. They trusted the congregation. They trusted that God was actually at work in the congregation. Hello. They trusted that the people in the church and in that gathering could hear from God and could walk out God's calling in the same way that that the apostles themselves were hearing from God and walking out. They trusted that God was at work in all of them as much as he was at work in themselves. That's not easy for leaders. Because if something goes wrong, and sometimes it does, we're the ones that get the emails. <laughs> we're the ones that get the, did you know this? And every now and then, it's super tempting to, for leaders and pastors to just go, oh, forget it. I'll just do it myself. I can do it faster, and I can do it with less hurt feelings, and I won't have to fix it. And I'll... It's tempting to do that, but I'm here to tell you today, it's wrong. It's wrong. The goal of God's church is not to have one person do everything perfectly. The goal of Jesus' church is not to be efficient and perfect. The goal of Jesus' church is to release every single follower of Jesus to function as a part of the church. It's not a football game. We're not releasing people to be spectators who come to church on Sunday mornings, we're releasing people into the spot that they fit best so that every single person is on the field playing the game and functioning as their part of the church. That is what God's church is supposed to look like. Yes? Yes. So somebody says, well, but Patty, what if nobody makes it happen? What if nobody takes the leadership of organizing a whatchamacallit event and and nobody pulls together the whozits and the thingamajigs to make that event happen? What if that happens? What if nobody does it? Well, I'm not sure. It might mean that God isn't calling this church to do that whatchamacallit with the thingamajigs at this time and in this place. Or it might mean that you are the somebody That nobody else is. And you're the one that God is calling to do it. Either answer is reasonable. Neither one of them is wrong. It's just just how the church works. So, to recap, let me just bring us up to speed. So, to recap, in perhaps the best season of the church ever, there were still challenges. And when those challenges happened, the leaders didn't try to solve it or do it all themselves. They called on the people to come up with a solution, and and they gave them appropriate oversight, and they gave them some guidelines, and then the people thought that was a great idea, and so they did that, and the result was, number six, even more people became followers of Jesus. Hashtag boom, hashtag mic drop, hashtag the church grew. Anyone think that's exciting? The church grew. They did all of this. And even more people became followers of Jesus. Not because the pastor was a superstar. Not because the worship team was so awesome that it just was the most amazing thing in town. But because the church was doing what the church is supposed to do. And I suspect that if you had talked to them at that time, that early church, and said, Well, how did you? That's so amazing that you did that. I suspect they would have done the same thing this church does. It's what we do. That is one fantastic church, and so is this one. So there's two things I want you to know about how this looks here. You ready? Number one, we have a fantastic team of elders. And I often refer to them as the ministry team because this may be just me, but the term elder to me makes them sound old, and they're not all old. And so elders or ministry team, is ha- but we have a fantastic team of them, and I trust them. They are the ones who do hospital visits. They are the ones who visit people in their homes. They are the ones who pray with you often on Sunday mornings. They are the ones who, even in the Constitution, it says that they assist the lead pastor in ministries which strengthen care and nurturing in the church family. Why do they do that? Because the pastor thinks it's not important? No. Because the pastor thinks it's so important that it should be done well. And it should be done by people who are gifted in that area and people who are released in that area and people who are called to fulfill that role because that's how the church is supposed to work. That's how this church works. And our team of elders is fantastic. And over the past year or two or however many you want to say of of change that has happened in this church, they they just keep doing what they do. And I find out later on, oh, so-and-so has been thoroughly looked after. Oh, this person was was visited in the hospital. This person was prayed for. This kind of thing happened and that. Because our elders, they just keep on trucking. They just keep doing what they're doing, looking after people in the church. And we're trying to pull them together very soon. And if you are one, Pastor Pauline's coming to you today because we genuinely are trying to pull together our elders so that we can have a meeting and thank them. But I tried to thank one of them a few weeks ago, and you know what they said? It's what we do. Here's the second thing I want you to know. You are part of this one fantastic church. When you turn the person beside you, put your finger out nicely and tell them you are part of this one fantastic church. And then turn your finger around and go, I am part of this one fantastic church. Go ahead. I am. And part of this one, listen, here's what I want to see happen at this church. I would like to lead a church that is bursting at the seams with ideas for carrying Jesus in our community. And I would like to see those ideas not need a pastor to lead them or make them happen. They just need a pastor or a leader to say, hey, that's an interesting idea. Here's a few guidelines. Now go for it. That's what I think should be happening in the church of Jesus Christ. And so I'm going to tell you right now, you go, well, what are the guidelines? I'm glad you asked. I'm going to give them to you, and we're going to unpack them a lot, probably, in the next year. But I thought I'd just dump them on you today. They're from uh, an author, Frank Tillepau, who wrote a book years ago about unleashing the church. And I've adapted it and taken it and made it our own. So I'm giving credit, but I've also adapted it, okay? You have an idea of something that you think is going to help people connect with Jesus, help our church do what we're supposed to do. Here's the guidelines. Number one, can't cost the church money. Why? Because our budget's already allocated. It's already stretched. It's already written down, the stuff that we're doing with it. So you can't cost the church money. Number two, you can't say that staff have to do it with you. They already have roles. Okay? Number three, it can't be contrary to or competing with our church's style or our church's belief or our church's constitution. So in other words, you can't um, preach heavy duty, like prosperity gospel. Because it's different than what we believe. You can't set up um, a children's program that competes with the Sunday morning children's program that we already have. You can't appoint yourself as an elder or as a prophet. I mean, you understand. you gotta, you got to go along with what's already happening with an inside-out church, do good, love each other, reveal Jesus. you got to conform to legal guidelines and plan to protect. So th- that's what that is. And then the fourth one is you can't go it alone. No lone rangers. you got to have somebody else doing it with you. And you got to be under some kind of oversight. So you're going to talk to one of the leaders and go, this is my idea. And but, so that you're communicating with them and we know what's going on. And the fifth one is, and I didn't write it, Frank Telepau did. When any of these four is untrue, let it die. That's it. Those are the guidelines. You go, I don't know what that looks like. I'm glad you asked. I have some, I have some examples. A few weeks ago, Renna came to me. She said, Pastor Potty, there's nobody praying in the sanctuary before church on Sunday morning. Can me and a few others pray through the sanctuary on Sunday morning? I said, hmm, does that cost the church money? Does it involve staff? Is it contrary to church belief? She's not doing Yes, you can. And then uh, somebody named Nancy came to Pastor Rob, and she said, I was in a life group before, and the life group, the leader has moved away now, and I'd like to restart it, and I'd like to use the book, The Purpose Driven Life. Am I allowed to do that? Can I pull people together and have a life group and do purpose driven life? And we went, cost the church money, can't involve stuff, can't be conscious. Yes, you can. Brian and Helen came to us and said, we would like to talk about in the future, putting together lunches for people that stay for On Point. It's not available today, but they're not going to, they're not going to, we want to be able to give lunches for people that are staying for On Point. Does it cost the church? Can't involve Santa? Yes, you can. Uh, Somebody else came to me and said, can I start a mom's group? Looked at the guy. Yes, she can. I found out this morning after the first service, there's somebody, Veron, is, is doing Christmas caroling in seniors' homes over Christmas. And she's told Nick, and she's now told me, and she said, it's not going to cost the church money. It's not. Are we good? I said, yes, that sounds good. Because if you have something that fits these guidelines, you have something that fits in with all of this, this is going to contribute to the inside-out church vision. And, and we are going to try really hard as leaders and staff and pastors of this church. We're going to try really hard to say, go for it. We're going to give you the guidelines. We're going to ask you to communicate. We're probably not going to give you a big Sunday morning announcement because it won't matter. You're just doing it anyway. But you will find your place and you will find your gift in this inside out church. And you'll become one of the players that's playing the game right on the field in the city in which God has placed us. Imagine the possibilities. So I'm going to ask you to bow your head at this moment. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. I just want to take a moment and and let this land on our hearts, and then we're going to close with one song, and we'll be done. But I want you to let this land on your heart at this moment, just this whole message. And I want you to whisper a prayer to God that says, God... What's my part? What's my place? God, I I don't want to be a spectator. I want to be doing what I'm called to do. I want to be part of this one fantastic church in a way that helps us to carry Jesus to our community and helps us to do and be and go all that we're supposed to do and be and go. God, would you drop in each of our hearts what that might look like? And, and if it's not today, that's okay. But in the weeks and in the months to come, God, would you help us each to find our place so that we can become an even more fantastic church that carries Jesus well to our world? Give us an openness to that, God, we ask in Jesus' name. I'm asking if you would stand with me. Our worship team is going to lead us through one last song. Then I'm going to come back and we'll close in prayer. But why don't you stand? Let's worship our God.